Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, November 22nd, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the fifth episode of Disney Plus's Mandalorian Season 2, entitled The Jedi. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on his podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And special guest from Star Wars Insider, StarWars.com, the Full of Sith podcast, and a little site called SlashFilm.com, Brian Young. Uh, hey, how's it going? Um, okay, so before we get into this episode, what an episode, guys. We have a ton of uh, things to catch up on, some feedback and updates from last week's episode. So uh, this is going to be, what, what I'm basically saying is this is going to be a longer episode than even our normal long episodes. Um, okay, so last week I mentioned that there was some rumblings that those troopers at the end of the last episode could be dark troopers. And uh, Brian, I think you have a confirmation on this. Yeah. So if you go to the audio text description version of the episode, the audio text voice there says that they are indeed dark troopers. Yeah. Uh, and that basically is the version for, I guess, a blind or hard of seeing yes to, yeah. yeah so th- that's just one of the audio tracks that's available on um 
you know, on Disney plus, which is, which is a really great service. And, um, now I'm going to have to start watching that way as well. Like I'll watch it the first time without anything. And then the second time with subtitles and then the third time with subtitles and audio text description, and it'll just offer more information. But, uh, you know, they, they are dark troopers, but it would have been nice if we could have just gotten one close up that would, that would make us feel that, that, because I think that would have been a hell of a, a real reveal. It felt like one of those things that was supposed to be a reveal. And then I was like, you know, Kitra looked at me and she was like, what are those? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know what those are. So they look like big black stormtroopers, uh, but they're not death troopers. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I am like you that watched, watched the episode with the subtitles on so that I can get uh, – because they have bits and pieces that you don't really get from just the audio. Like you, you'll get character names that are not – never spoken ever on the show. Um, so and, and getting and, correct spellings helps when you're trying to cram a review really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you also get some intentionality on – uh, baby Yoda's like what his coups and stuff. Sometimes like you get some like of what they're going for, even like, you know, it, it's most of the time obvious, but sometimes like, you know, it, it's more specific in what, uh, what he's, you know, saying. Yeah. Like there's one when he was, there was an episode where he was in the diner and it said in brackets demands whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we should probably mention Brad's kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I was weary watching last week's episode. And one thing I forgot to talk about really quick is I, I just love the, the world building in, in the show, even though like we've seen like ravines and like star Wars before. I love that This is like a lava ravine, like had like a little like pathway of lava. And of course it's on Navarro, which is like a lava planet. But, um, the, you know the production design and the the art design of this like the show is just great and something I didn't even notice the first two times I was watching that whole chase sequence. So, um, another thing I think we forgot to mention last week. Um, I forgot to mention I didn't even notice it until you know I'd seen it three times and then someone was like, "Oh, did you see that thing in the background?" I was like, "No." Um. In Navarro, there's a statue of IG-11. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I caught I caught people posting about that and went back and looked at it. Uh, when I went back and looked for T-shirt man, <laughs> what do you think about the statue? I, I mean, is that are we just made like you know? Obviously, he killed himself in service of saving the planet, right? Well, is it saving the planet or is it saving grief? Who's now the magistrate of that town and can put statues up of whatever he wants? Fair enough. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the T-shirt man. Um, so that's another thing we didn't notice in the background of one of the scenes. There is a crew member that is wearing a T-shirt and jeans and sneakers that can be seen kind of like peeking off from the left side of the screen. This has since been corrected. Like, they yeah, come back. yeah, you can't see it anymore. You just have to hear the tales. Or see the, you know, some people have screenshots and memes. Um, my, my funniest one was uh, an artist basically 
took that little sliver of the the crew member side of the the his body and imagined what an alien creature could look like that might have that as like it's like uh the front of its face so they like they, they explained it in non-canon that like that's actually just like this weird looking alien creature and it's not like a guy in jeans <laughs> i don't know uh i i kind of love the nerdiness of that um uh someone else wrote in and pointed out that um in the classroom scene oh uh last week i mentioned the classroom scene took place in the cantina brian you said i was wrong i said it i said i didn't think it was <laughs> and then rewatching it it's pretty obvious that it is well, yeah. so much for our Star Wars expert, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's demanding having to watch these so quickly and then turn over like all kinds of cogent analysis, right? Like, it is. It is. You, do they, you do a great job. You do a great job. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure it was because of the line of like Mando was like, uh, there was some kind of line about like you turned it this into that, like that kind of thing. But I w- was not quite sure. Um, Oh, but someone wrote in that one of the kids, one of the girls in the classroom has Ray's trademark hairstyle. Yeah, I I, I picked up on that, um, but it didn't. I mean, like, there's a lot of multi-bund hair people just in Star Wars. So it it feels like it's lost a little bit of its um, specialness, I guess, to, to point out every time somebody has buns in their hair. Multi-bund <laughs> hair people, new band name, called it. <laughs> uh, but it, it isn't Ray, because the timelines don't match up with the age and stuff like that. It's just, uh, uh, you know, I, mean, I guess people around the galaxy, that's like a common hair. Yeah. You know, well, and this will blow people's minds, but this is actually a planet called Navarro and not Jakku. <laughs> it's hard to tell with all the sand that's around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean to be fair, Brian, I, like I'm, I'm not gonna like argue this point, but like you know, there are things called like loth cats, which are local to Lothal, and now now they're like everywhere in the Star Wars galaxy. Do I, don't you, know. I mean, we have Do Sia- want- we have Siamese cats in America. <laughs> Do you also want to get into the fact that those were Tukas and not loth cats? Oh, were they? Okay, we'll yeah. we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. Um, Hey, did we um, mention the thing from before with um, with the the tank and the the stuff where people thought, "Oh, Snowklink"? Yeah, oh. let's get into that. Yeah, let's talk about that. So that in the tank, there was some failed experiments of this clone, uh, whatever they were doing with the the M count from the child, and uh, <laughs> some people think that these are like the predecessors of Snoke. Yeah, because there was a, well, an image that was going around that showed where you could see one of the heads, and it had a scar very similar to the one that you see um, both on Snoke when he is, you know, in the Last Jedi, and also the, uh, what appears to be you know a failed version of Snoke in the tank that we see at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker when Palpatine, uh, you know, says, you know, I am Snoke, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and um, I mean, that's something that we kind of raised as a possibility, but people have actually gone back and picked out the notes of Snoke's musical cues in um, in the score for those moments in this episode. I sincerely yeah, so- I sincerely hope that it is more of a, a subtle thing and it doesn't become the driving force of, oh, let's let's like deeply explain all of this stuff, because like I know, like Brian mentioned before about how, you know, 
cool it is that Dave Filoni has done some interesting things that give a better context or like make a little bit less, um, I don't know, cheap, like certain aspects of the, the Star Wars movies that feel like they don't really fit in well. And like a lot of people obviously think, you know, the Emperor's Return and things like that and the Rise of Skywalker are some things that maybe need a little bit of like retconning uh we're not necessarily pulling it back but more, just, more, more explanation yeah exactly and so but, but i but i hope that this is more so just like a very subtle thing so that it's like oh so here's maybe where the origins that came from and it's not like purely going to be like an in-depth explanation as so this is how that all happened i don't think we'll get an in-depth explanation but i think especially since moff gideon is after this child for his metachlorians Midichlorians, however you pronounce it. Um, and uh, I do think this show is partially like one of the subplots of the show is showing how the, you know, the, I guess the crumbles of the empire is going to become the first order. What, would you agree on that, Brian? I would, I, I, I don't actually think so. Oh, really? Um, at this point in the timeline, uh, Ray Sloan and, um, Armitage Hux, uh, or Brendel Hux, uh, General Hux's dad, have already gone to the Unknown Regions to start building that power base and start working uh, in earnest on Starkiller, that, which was a, a program that Palpatine had already put together. But after Jakku, that main remnant of the Imperials left, and they left very specifically with all of that stuff to the Unknown Regions. And I think that the reveal at the end of this new episode of Chapter 13, The Jedi, actually gives us a better clue of who Moff Gideon might actually be working with or for and what that power base is there and that they might not be related to the First Order at all. And what they're really doing is setting up the seeds for Heir to the Empire or an Heir to the Empire-like story with Thrawn coming back with his, with his fleet yeah, um, we'll talk about that later in this episode when we get to that point. Uh, but that's that's an interesting thought. Um, let's talk about uh, the the macaroons. Macar- uh, <laughs> macarons. Macarons. Yeah, macarons are different than macaroons. I hate the pronunciation of both the. I don't know. Uh, okay, uh, macarons. That's how you pronounce it, right? Yeah. I'm getting it right. Um, someone pointed out that they could be blue milk macarons, which makes me like them a little bit more. Well, I was kind of like weirded out. I was like, why do we have this, you know, this food from Earth in the Star Wars galaxy? But now that they're blue milk macarons, then uh, m- maybe that makes them more Star Wars. Well, to according to William Sonoma, they are called Navarro Nummies. And I hate that. <laughs> they, name are, too. they are $50 if you want 12 of them. <laughs> Yeah, that's such um, a disappointing. We talked about this, but like, I'm kind of disappointed with the creativity of that name. They could, at that price, they could have been called Canto Bites, <laughs> but they're not from Canto. Um, I mean, they're they're Macrons. They're not from Star Wars either. <laughs> the the thing I'm wondering about is like that kid. He must have like I know he's in the public school system. He's like being taught in like a converted cantina where people used to get drunk but somehow he has enough credits to buy these these very expensive uh navarro nummies from uh william sonoma his parents i mean they're 50 bucks his parents are empire supporters they've got the money (laughs) um i will say as expensive as they are i have seen some macaron shops that sell 
single single macarons for like four or five bucks each. So if you're getting twelve for fifty bucks, it's I'm not gonna say it's a deal. It's not a deal. Yeah, because I feel. I mean, I feel like there's yeah, there's a difference between getting like fresh macarons from like a, a nice bakery as opposed to getting them, you know, shipped to you from Williams Sonoma for fifty dollars. <laughs> well, it's like, I, I, w- I, would you like some macarons with your uh, with your spatula order? <laughs> I will say this: I I actually ordered these because we're gonna do a video on ordinary adventures about them, so I I can uh, you know. I account. specifically asked you. <laughs> Slash Home would fund this, and you told me hey, no. Hey, Brad, I already spent fifty bucks on these. I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars. You better send me one next day air, so I can I can uh, talk about it on Slash Home Daily. I am the food guy. But I will say this: when when you do order them on William Sonoma, it actually tells you that like uh, this order is non refundable because you are actually placing a order for a product that's going to be made made for you. Like it's basically made on demand, hmm. so it, it isn't like a prepackaged thing. Not to say that it's like a fresh macaron, like that you'd get from like a you know expensive store. Or something I did like that, notice but... that there was a, something in the notes too on the product page that they do ship it either frozen or chilled, depending on the time of the year. So maybe that comes into the consideration of the cost. I don't know. Oh. It also makes it seem really uh, arrogant of them to think that they're going to be shipping them through another season. By that time, there's going to be another interesting space food from Star Wars that people will be hooked on. <laughs> okay, uh, what else do we have to talk about? Um, uh, I'm pulling up my notes here. Um, uh, the... <laughs> what else yeah you mentioned a lot of the snoke stuff so i'm going over that uh there there okay there there has been a report recently that uh the mandalorian spinoff show uh is going to focus on boba fett uh this comes from unreliable you know origin so i'm not going to say that it, it's true but um there's uh some people supposedly cast on this project jordan Bulger and Sophia Thatcher uh, from the 100 and Chicago Med uh, who might have supporting roles. Um, so there's that. I just wanted to mention that just, uh, you know, because it you know happened in the last week, even though I don't think we reported on slash com because uh, we need a little bit more credibility before we report something. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was Sasha Banks uh, she recently had an interview where she confirmed that Chapter 11 is her only Mandalorian Season 2 appearance. So that uh, she she says uh, straight out that that's the only time we're going to see her that season. So um, what does that mean, Brian? Do like Are we not going to see Bo-Katan the rest of the season? Or? I mean, I, I still feel like we're building toward an... Uh, an ending that's that's going to pit Bo-Katan against Moff Gideon, but where um, you know Sasha Banks's character is is anybody's guess. Maybe maybe Bo-Katan sends her off in some direction or another, or there's something else to do, or we see her with just her helmet on and it was a stunt performer, like like Brendan Wayne might do for. Um, you know, the Mandalorian himself because she doesn't feature with lines in any of the roles. And, um, you know, as a producer, doing that sort of thing with masked characters seems reasonable. 
I also wonder, just to save money. I also wonder if they're going to slow roll it too, because um, Giancarlo Esposito mentioned a while back that like there would be you know answers or like c- certain new things coming down the road that wouldn't be revealed until like a third or fourth season. So I wonder if they're just doing a thing where like they're they're just like setting the stage for things to happen later on, and we won't necessarily get like a huge confrontation by the end of the season because clearly the emphasis is still on Mando and the child, because even with this episode's reveal of, you know, bringing back um, Ahsoka, it's clear that it's like, they're not intending her to stick around and keep continuing to pop up a lot on Mandalorian, you know, which could be something that is, you know, also setting up for a potential spinoff for Ahsoka or, you know, some, something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do wonder if it's something that they'll just, they're going to let play out longer than just be you know, just the season. I, I think it just goes against what I was anticipating because I had this, like, I don't know, sneaking suspicion that, like, the last episode of the season that the Night Owls were going to come to the rescue, like, in a dire moment or something like that. Like, I, I, I felt like that's what they were being set up for, but uh, maybe they were just being set up at for this season to, you know, send Mando on his way to, to find uh, the Jedi. So. And by the way, uh, if you would like to read about um, Katie Sackhoff's uh, approach to playing bo in live action, you can read our interview that we had with her from earlier this week. Okay, I will link that in the show notes. Uh, another article I think you might have penned this week, Brad, was that Disney announced the second season of the Gallery series? Yes, well, so Disney, yeah, technically Disney announced this, except Disney in the U.S. didn't. I don't know if they were trying to keep it secret or what, but apparently Disney Australia uh, teased one of the titles that's coming to Disney Plus in December is uh, a second season of that Mandalorian documentary series, and it's supposed to start on Christmas Day, which is the week after uh, the the second season finale of uh, season two will air. Oh, well, that's good to know because I really enjoyed the first season of Disney Gallery. I just hope it's like actually people around the table and not like people on Zoom because I feel like that's a, you know, that's it's a, like harder to have like real conversations, right? I think that they shot the, uh, um, the impression I got when I was listening to them talking in that first season is that they shot it pretty early on, like, um, Maybe maybe like almost immediately after they were done shooting the first season, so I, I think that they probably would have had enough time to get it um, out of the way before any any pandemic issues. And even if 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 not, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have just shot it in a very socially distanced way too. Yeah, I'm not sure if a lot of people out there don't know this or not, but usually because of scheduling, it's hard to get like all these people in a room together. Usually when you like record an audio commentary for a DVD or any of those, those like featurettes or something, they're re- usually shot alongside either the production of the film or TV show or at the junket. So uh, way before you end up seeing it on the home video release. Or, you know. Yeah. And I definitely get the impression that Mandalorian gallery season one was shot sort of concurrently with what they were doing um, on set for the first season. And season two did wrap shooting before everybody got locked down. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if yeah, it, it looked just like season one. Okay, so we got a couple emails here I wanted to read really quickly. Ian from Washington, D.C. writes in, Brad asked whether every member of Yoda's species speaks backwards the same way Yoda does. While I'm not aware of any Legends material that included Yaddle speaking, I immediately thought of Master Vandar from Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, he has Yoda's vocal style. He 
He's played by Tom Kane, who voices Yoda in the Clone Wars and all the video games, uh, but doesn't employ the same backwards referencing grammar. So there you have it. So there are, I guess, uh, well, I guess he's not canon, though, right? It's a little yeah, no, he he wouldn't be he wouldn't be canon. We'll talk about some more not canon Knights of the Old Republic stuff through this episode, too, I'm well, sure. Um, it's going to become canon. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I was I read a really interesting take from a linguist about this, and they said that like the way people speak really has to do with their formative years and and their accents and things they pick up are from the people who raised them and or, or and if uh, Grogu, uh, you know, picked this up from Yoda, that would be a possibility during some of those formative years, although it seems like some of his memories hazy. But it seems more likely that he would pick up a, a a verbal style more like the Mandalorian if that's who he's sort of imprinting on, as it were. Yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. Um, David from SoCal writes in that yesterday I was watching Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones with my daughter when she asked me, why does Yoda have regular human eyes while baby Yoda's eyes are solid black? The only thing I could come up with was maybe because Baby Yoda hasn't reached puberty yet. Actually, so I wanted to pose that question to you guys. So th- this is something that I, I don't even remember where I picked this up, but um, a human's eyes stay the same size um, from birth to when they grow up, so, which is why baby's eyes look a lot more fuller as well. And so I, uh, from what I can gather, probably because of that, is that Yoda is just, Baby Yoda, the child, is just so small that his eyes you don't see the the white around his his people and the color of his eye uh, the same way that you do Yoda. Hmm. I like that theory. Brian, do you have any other possible well, theories on that? We've only met like literally two other representatives of the species. <laughs> like anything could be possible the same way like you know, every time we see new Twi'leks, they're in different colors, right? Like maybe they've got different eyes. Uh, you know, according to different regions that they grew up in, or like, however the hell Boss, Nass, and Jar Jar are part of the same species. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, I think we've gone almost over 20 minutes, or almost 25 minutes here, guys. We have not gotten to the episode, so let's let's start things out with our brief thoughts on Season 2, Episode 5. I'll give you my brief thoughts. Uh, This season... It's been unreal. This like like I liked season one of The Mandalorian, but I feel like this season has like taken it up multiple. It's like multiple times better. Not I I, I don't want to be you know just comparing things, but um, I, I've just loved almost every single no. I've loved every episode of the season. Um, I love that they're doing more Star Wars lore. I, I, I'm here for, it. and it's not just like you know big cuts that mainstream fans will recognize. There's like 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 you said, Brian, like stuff from like Knights of the Old Republic, stuff from comic books, stuff from, you know, Rebels and Clone Wars that I, I think, interestingly enough, I think a lot of people are going to be watching this and then be like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, now give this animated series a chance because I want to know, you know, who Thrawn and Ahsoka is. So I don't know. I it's, I'm I, I, I guess most of all, I was um impressed by the shot compositions of this episode like it felt very kurosawa um and brian i'm sure you're gonna be talking about that later um and i am really impressed by filoni who directed two episodes of last season i know i said the same thing of uh bryce dallas howard 
But uh, I was really unimpressed. Like, I am a big fan of Filoni and what he has done in the animated series. I think I think he's a phenomenal uh, writer. I think, um, you know, what he is able to do with visual storytelling and mythical storytelling is just like, you know, amazing. But I was really unimpressed with him as a live action director in the first season. I think he did the pilot episode or, you know, it was called The Mandalorian. And he did the other episode where they went to Tatooine. It was like it felt like the worst case scenario of like putting too many fan inside fan things in there. Um, But this is like by far incredible. Like this, this feels like the work of a different live action director. Um, I'm really. Well, maybe they switched his second unit director. (laughs) Yeah, um, but it, it, am am I wrong in saying that like it feels like like night and day compared to his first season efforts? No, I I felt very much the same way, and I don't know if that's because he was a little bit more unsure of himself in live action, and Favreau was kind of holding the reins a little bit more. This felt much more unfiltered, Filoni. This felt very much. Um, you know, having conversations with the guy over the years, it has his sort of interesting fingerprints of filmmaking and um, inspirations on it, as well as that mark of stuff that that he was into because of George Lucas or, um, you know, it's, it, you know, Filoni, Filoni told me once in an interview that, like, the way you talk to George Lucas is by talking through other movies and referencing other movies, uh, you know, and I think that that's part of the language of Star Wars. And I think that in those first episodes that he did, it was just sort of generic Western rather than the things that made him really passionate about film and Star Wars. And I think all that's on display here in this episode. I, I love the concept that like George Lucas is almost like an alien who's visited Earth and he's only able to communicate through like cinema like references i that that's uh it would not surprise me at all (laughs) uh what did you think of this episode brian i really enjoyed it i was really um surprised by the fact that they didn't really hold the surprises i was sort of shocked that we got ahsoka as quickly as we did and how that whole situation played out was it felt very, you know, like when you talk about what you want out of good storytelling that feels surprising but inevitable. That's kind of how this felt. It was, you know, it, everything had built to this moment uh, so far, uh, but it was still managed. Uh, it was still managed to, uh, you know, to surprise. And yeah, the filmmaking was just it was really good, and I really love all the Kurosawa in it. It's got so much Throne of Blood and Yojimbo that uh, it just it just made me happy in those ways. Brad, your thoughts on this episode? Uh, yeah, this was a fantastic episode, you know, and um, much in the same way that when the the introduction of uh, Bo-Katan into live action came about, um, it's a similar thing here with uh, Ahsoka. I feel like you you don't really uh, need to have seen Clone Wars um, or even Star Wars Rebels to get a full grasp on, you know, why she's important, um, you know, where, where she's at in, you know, Star Wars canon and, and, and whatnot. Like if you just understand the, 
you know, the, the very basic, you know, idea of the fact that she was once Anakin Skywalker's apprentice. That's really all you need to know for like some of the things she says to have significance and you don't need this entire history. It, it will definitely make it better for you uh, if you do, you know, go watch those things. But I, I like how they're they're digging into, you know, the the deeper Star Wars mythos and other things beyond the movies. But they're not required viewing for the more casual Star Wars fan. And I think um, a lot of people probably appreciate that, too. And, yeah, it was just it's it's so cool to see her in uh, in live action and to see how, you know, Mando's story inter- intersects with, um, you know, other parts of the Star Wars universe. There's a lot of, cr- you know, crazy huge revelations here. And like you said, Peter, th- this is shot gorgeously like there are. Um, multiple shots here that are just they look like paintings they look they look gorgeous um especially some of the the darker nighttime stuff it's um yeah it's it's a very well-made episode i I was also impressed by feloni's um improvement over the quality of the previous episodes he directed um and real quickly before we get any emails about this because now i I will sound like a dummy if i don't correct this the the thing about eyes not growing isn't um accurate (laughs) (laughs) apparently it's more of it's 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 a very popular like thought i guess i don't know where it came from eyes do grow from when you're a baby and then they significantly around puberty which is probably why that email was phrased that way but i i I made sure to look that up because i was like i because i know i'd heard it before but i had to make sure it was accurate and eyeballs do grow so now, now, now you know, I'm stupid. Well, I, I'm stupid because I just believed you. I was like, ooh, that's like, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, okay. Uh, let's get into, I guess, let's get into this week's episode. Let's do the beat by beat thing because I think we've talked long enough. Um, and by the way, this episode's 46 minutes long. So I like that they're doing more longer episodes this season. Um, so this episode begins, uh, the alarm gongs are ringing, people are running, uh, we see this very, uh, imperialist Asian inspired city, uh, but like, you know, through the lens of Star Wars, uh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, do you want to talk about the inspiration of like the city that we're seeing here? The city and the whole planet really feel very much like, um, Kurosawa's Throne of Blood, especially with sort of the the broken trees and the mist that that you see, especially in the beginning when the witches arrive in that retelling of Macbeth. But it has the 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 city itself looks very much like the city in Yojimbo, but with the the Ralph McQuarrie sort of domes everywhere. Um, and and so it it looks like it's pulled right out of uh, you know, if 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 Ralph McQuarrie were designing kurosawa star wars that's really the the vibe that it gets across the whole city and the planet it's kind of interesting because didn't rise of skywalker have like one of the planets there was supposed to be kind of kurosawa inspired uh and- kajimi kajimi was and it does have those sorts of uh um japanese flourishes to it in the same way but i think i think it's more effective here to be honest yeah, and I, I, I'm a fan of Rise of Skywalker, and I actually think that this is way more effective <laughs> doing that. Um, okay, uh, so as you said, Brian, Ahsoka shows up within the first couple seconds of this, this episode, takes out some scout guards in a forest, which looks like it hasn't been alive for, I don't know, years. Uh, and uh, she's using, using her two white sabers in a badass fashion. Um. Yeah. First of all, I'm I'm surprised, like you, that 
they just you know they just gave us her like right right off, right off the bat like they didn't like make us wait for it I, I mean i guess they did because they mentioned her two episodes ago but um yeah i'm surprised about that um this all, also confirms uh my scoop that rosario dawson was going to be playing ahsoka which many fanboys told me i was wrong and making stuff up and turns out i was not um i'm not i'm not mad i'm not i'm not bitter but uh uh i guess let's talk about rosario dawson as ahsoka um and what you guys thought of her because i i think she looks like the like she looks like ahsoka i when when i reported the story that rosario was going to be playing this character there was some fan backlash because um well, there's two different types of fan backlash, but there's some fan backlash because uh, people love Ashley Eckstein, who voices the character in Clone Wars and Rebels, and uh, they were disappointed that she wasn't going to be the voice of Ahsoka in this live action series. And at the time, I was like, no, let's let's see what Rosar- Rosario is a good actress. Uh, I'll say as Rosario looks the part and she looks badass and I, like, I'm not di- I'm not mad at her live action Ahsoka I am missing Ashley's voice a little bit yeah no I I definitely felt that disconnect too where it's like oh cool it's Ahsoka and then as soon as she starts talking it's like oh it's only sort of Ahsoka and I think they smoothed that out or they tried to smooth that out with a couple of different things first I think it was really great to hear notes of Ahsoka's music in the score um, especially as as Ludwig Göransson, like uh, or however you pronounce it, um, um, I, I'll I'll work on figuring out how to pronounce it because I feel like we'll talk about him a lot over the course of more of these. Um, but uh, it's really haunting how he's able to sort of insert her her bit of the score and the way her dialogue is written is very much the way the dialogue would be written for Ashley Eckstein, but there's just something different about it. And I don't know. I can't tell if that's just because Ashley is so tied to the character that I'm wishing for that. And that's the only way I've ever experienced the character or if it's because I'm just, you know, just not used to it yet. And if we get more of Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, that I'll, become accustomed to it and be able to separate between the two but this being the first taste it just feels a little awkward brad what did you think of ash as a uh, rosario as a so uh yeah i i liked her for the most part and honestly like i obviously you know the the difference in voice can be rather jarring but i think you know w- what works is that you know a lot of time has passed you know since you know we we've seen ahsoka in the star wars timeline and I feel like she would be carrying herself a little bit differently. You know, things have happened. And there's, I think there's more of a, um, a calm confidence in, in Ahsoka that maybe has like taken hold over the years um, after all the things that have happened. And I think that Rosario Dawson's performance, I think it is uh, lends well to that idea. And I, I also do wonder not to discredit Ashley Eckstein in any way whatsoever. If the reason they went with someone like Rosario instead of Ashley Eckstein is because of, it can be challenging for somebody who has only voiced a character in animation to make the jump to live action. Um, in my interview with Katie Sackhoff, I, I talked to her about this and she mentioned um, how, how much more challenging it was than she thought it would be to play uh, Bo-Katan in live action because she's not able to move uh, physically the same way to 
get to doing while she's doing her lines and expressing herself because uh, she's a very expressive person. Katie Sackhoff is, but for Bo-Katan, like you, she can't move around in the same way to get, you know, the right inflection on certain lines to, you know, to put that emotion into it. And so she has to be stoic in her movement and much more subdued than she might be if she were recording lines in a sound booth. So I do wonder if, you know, no matter how gifted an actress Ashley Eckstein is in voice, if maybe that's something she they thought she wouldn't be able to do physically as the as the character and that Rosario, Rosario Dawson's presence was more uh, imposing and, and uh, confident. And I wonder if part of it, too, is that Ahsoka is very um, coded as a person of color. And putting red paint on, you know, a white actress might have smacked uh, uh, not I, I not anywhere near as much as blackface, but might have smacked of something that, that it's like, hey, this is a part that that looked designed after a person of of ethnicity and that maybe maybe Ashley wouldn't fit it that way. Um, I don't necessarily like I think that Ashley. Ashley probably could have done it, but, uh, you know, there's probably a thousand reasons that they decided to go the, the way they did. You, you don't think, uh, it, I don't know, to me, it seems like it's it's all about physicality and, like, maybe her not being, like, tall enough or imposing enough. I mean, if that were the case. Like, if, she seems like such a nice person. Like, I've met her so many times. So like, she, she's such a great person, but, like, I'm not sure on screen if, like, she would ooze you know badass jedi even like i I mean i've even seen her at celebration when she holds like the two ahsoka lightsabers and stuff and she has the poses right but like when you put her next to other people she might seem a lot smaller i mean i guess she seemed a lot smaller in the clone wars i mean that's 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 Uh, true but at the same time if that were i think if that were the biggest issue then i mean and because because i obviously i I think it's it's not just necessarily getting those moves right that they are having the the intimidation, but like it's their physical acting. You don't realize it is, is a big part of the, of the performance, you know? And so yeah. uh, maybe her, her appearance in general, I, I think what Brian says does, does lend some weight to it too. But like, if it were just about her size, then I think that, you know, then Tom Cruise wouldn't be, you know, a movie star. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I, I also think, well, what do you think of like, why didn't, why didn't they replace Rosario's voice with, Ashley's voice probably would have just been weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be strange, and I'm I'm not sure Rosario might have went for or, that. or Ashley know. for that matter. Yeah, yeah. I can't point. imagine Ashley saying no to anything uh, Ahsoka related. To be honest, um, but it, it could also be. I mean, like, but they've done that with Ray Park the entire time he's been around, but. Ray Park is not the quality of of actor that Rosario Dawson is either. Yeah, um, I think we're going to like I mean, I, I think this is just jarring because this is our first uh, look at her. And like I said, visually, I think she is Ahsoka. I think it's just the 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 audio, the voice. That's a little bit weird. One thing that I, but... I will say, too, um, is that. There is something that is a little bit clumsy here and there about how they translate her uh, movement into live action because, and I think this is just because of the limit limitation of between live action and animation because the way Ahsoka moves in Clone Wars is um, superhuman in a way, even even more so than how Jedi move in in the, um, other Star Wars movies um, with their quick jumps and stuff like that. And there were a couple instances 
in a sequence when she was like meant to move swiftly and nimbly where it felt kind of like, ah, that that's not really what Ahsoka does or how she moves. Um, specifically there's one weird thing where she like takes like a quick step, like up a wall to like kind of get the upper hand on a bad guy, but it's like, she didn't get much height on the person to, for that to be necessary. <laughs> uh, I, I noticed that as well. Um, Okay, so the guards can't see her, but she's constantly ahead of them, taking them out. Uh, the magistrate uh, demands she, quote, show yourself, Jedi, is what she yells out. Um, now, this is a character played by Diana Lee Inosanto. And uh, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but uh, she hasn't been in many movies or shows. Uh, she's better known for her stunts. She's she trained Rosa Salazar for uh, Alita Battle Angel. She was Margaret Cho's stunt double in Face Off, uh, Bai Wing's stunt double in Wild Wild West. Uh, she was a stunt person on Blade. Um, she's probably uh, she, she's the daughter of a guy named Dan Inosanto, uh, which I'm probably pronouncing the last name wrong. I apologize. Um, uh, who is a well-known martial arts instructor, and he's the training partner of Bruce Lee. So the Lee in her name is actually because she is the goddaughter of Bruce Lee. So she is, uh, I guess, martial arts royalty in a way, which is kind of interesting. Um, uh, and this this is like I think her first like big role in a mainstream thing. So I'm wondering how that happened. I'm sure we'll learn the story later on. Um, but okay. Uh, one it, thing, uh, one thing I really would love to point out and get your two, your takes on it, but did either of you feel very Sam Raimi evil dead Two in some of those sequences of her hunting those scout guards in the forest that and like predator and yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it was, it was, 100%. yeah, it was very, very cool the way they did the, where she was almost like a, a Jedi ninja in a way. Um, it's interesting that Ahsoka doesn't deny the title of Jedi when it's proposed to her, like here and later when Mando mentions it, it's not like, I don't know, is she, what does this mean, Brian? Like, is she just willing to go well, along with it? I, I think arguing semantics about what it means to be a Jedi with the person that you're aiming to murder if necessary to get the information is probably <laughs> a waste of her time. But you'll notice that later when she's actually talking to uh, Din Djarin, um, you know, he says, I've been quested to, to take this this little one to the Jedi. And she's like, the Jedi Order fell a long time ago, which to me said, like, none of us are Jedi anymore. Like, there's no such thing. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. OK, uh, the magistrate says that she's been expecting her and she knows what she's after. She she asks Ahsoka, how many lives is the knowledge I possess worth for you, worth to you? And she threatens to kill hundreds. Ahsoka basically says under her rule that she uh, they already suffer and that she must surrender or meet the consequences. And that's when we get the title reveal here. Uh, chapter 13 titled the Jedi. Now I, I think this one is pretty self-explanatory, but uh, Brian, is this title about Ahsoka or is it about the child? No response. Oh no, I got I'm I got the impression that it was about the Jedi in general. Right? Mm -hmm. Like as she's talking about how the Jedi Order has fallen and, and that they're this story, really. And this again leads into those ideas from The Last Jedi that that how could 
by the time of Ray's time, the Jedi have fallen so so down that rabbit hole of just being myth. And I think this helps build some of that. And I think um, the Jedi is is indicative. I mean, I'm sure it means her to yeah. some degree, but I also think it has that added layer of meaning of that, like, it's uh, especially, yeah, it's plural, especially when she says, like, there aren't, a, there aren't a lot of Jedi left as she sends them on the next phase of their quest. Okay, so Mando begins landing the Razor Crest outside the city of Caledon in the on the forest planet uh, planet of Corvus. Uh, these are new locations in this uh, Star Wars galaxy. Uh, the child seems to be more interested in the joystick knob, using his force powers to unscrew it. Uh, the Razor Crest lands in the dead forest, and we see some giant creatures in the background eating the trees. Uh, Brian, I have to ask you: Are these creatures new, or is this something we've seen? Maybe in like the the animated series. Uh, I didn't recall seeing them, uh, and I couldn't find any in my in my quick sort of search this morning. Find anything about them? I'll keep looking into them, but I didn't I didn't find anything. Hmm. Uh, well, they look cool. I'll say that much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they head into town, and they are met at the gate by the guards and the head of security, who I learned through subtitles is named Lang. And it's played by Michael Bean, who uh, is best known as uh, from Aliens and, you know, they've played Kyle Reese in Terminator. Uh, we haven't seen Michael Bean in a long time. I looked this up and I think his last mainstream role was maybe in Grindhouse in 2007. And that's not really a mainstream movie. Uh, maybe Michael Bay's The Rock. So we haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> I was I, I did an interview with him a few years ago, and he seemed very focused on a trying to gain that uh, that Hollywood notoriety back, but also really focused on doing his own movies. So if you look at that string of movies he's in since then, it's all really indie fair that him he and his wife had been producing. Ah, OK. Um, OK, so Mando shows up. He says he's a hunter in the guild and they open the gate for him. Uh, Mando walks through, and that's when we see that like overhang that you're talking about. That looks like the Ralph McQuarrie inspired. It almost looks like that gate for like Java's palace, like uh, from the McQuarrie concept art, I think. Right. And uh, I, I think we see something similar to it in Force Awakens. Am I wrong there? Uh, no, the gate is a little bit reminiscent of the one. Yeah. On Nima outpost that the Millennium Falcon crashes through. Yeah. Uh, Mando walks through the town past a droid of some kind. Is this a, a, any droid of interest, Brian? Or So, uh, I, I, it's the same model as 8D8, which is the droid that tortures the gonk droid in Return of the Jedi. As far as I can tell, I'm sure it's like an updated model and some Wikipedia, Wikipedian is going to be able to say actually and, and push their, the glasses up their nose just like I just did. Um, but... <laughs> As far as I could tell, it's the same make and model, but there's nothing particularly special about that droid. Okay, so he walks past him and he asks a man helping two kids from some information. Uh, he is interrupted by a scout guard telling him that the magistrate wants to speak with them. And uh, we see three prisoners are chained up to sticks that have rings around them to shock them. Uh, is there any reference to what they're going with here with these uh prisoners 
Um, so again, this, this is very Kurosawa, right? Like this is the, you know, this is the star Wars PG version of, you know, your enemy's heads on spikes as you enter the layer of the enemy. Totally. Uh, so Mando enters this layer, which is a water garden area. It's like a sci-fi version of an old Imperial Asian water temple, I guess, or something like that. Um, the magistrate tries to hire Mando to kill a Jedi that is bothering her. She explains the Jedi are an ancient enemy of Mandalore, and he says his price is too high, and she presents him with a spear made out of pure Beskar. That's the same material that uh, makes up his armor. It's a material that you'll we'll find out later. Uh, even a lightsaber cannot penetrate. Um, it, is this spear something we've seen in previous Star Wars canon? So uh, it's it's I thought that it could be um, as we see Ahsoka in the epilogue of um, Rebels, she's carrying a staff about that height. But and and for a long time through the episode, I thought that this might be that same staff before she lets the Mandalorian go with it. But it still could be. It still could be based on that. Um, yeah. But uh, there's no there's no specific history about it to to date. It could have just been an easy shorthand like, hey, how can we get this great martial artist to fight Ahsoka with two lightsabers and it'd be a fair fight? Well, what if we give her a spear of Beskar, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the same way like uh, George Lucas did that with the Magna Guards uh, in Revenge of the Sith, uh, where it's just like, well, how are they going to chose, uh, pose a bigger challenge for the Jedi? Like, well, let's just make it crackly electricity and that can beat off a lightsaber, sure. Yeah. I know in Legends there's something called a... Uh... Bevy Ragger. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it's a traditional Mandalorian spear used for hunting, but I, I'm not quite sure. It doesn't quite look the same, and it's also a legend, so it's probably not that. Uh, uh, she says he, if he can kill the Jedi, it's his. Uh, he's given the location of Ahsoka and sent on his way. Uh, I, want, I just wanted to mention how beautiful this dead forest looks. It has like like this fog with shades of greens and yellows and blues. Uh, what did you guys think of the like art design of this, like, you know, this rotting forest? At first I was a little, a little frustrated because it felt like an easy way to make this episode cheaper where they didn't need much detail um, to like, to fill in the spaces. And like, it, it was the murkiness uh, required a lot less, um, I guess, you know, like I said, you know, background detail, but the the smokiness, the setting of it does create um, quite a, you know, a stunning ambiance, especially, uh, you know, as we see with um, how they did the lighting in this episode in particular, especially nighttime scenes and just their their sparse use of certain light sources, whether it's, you know, the moon or the little uh, lantern that um, whether I don't know if it's Mando's or Ahsoka's is carrying around. But um, yeah, it's the, the forest itself, especially the way like the the dead trees, you know, branch out and everything. There were such gorgeously framed shots in this episode that were um, helped by the, how cool the trees looked. And they created, you know, framing around the characters and, and settings and whatnot. This is another sim similarity to The Rise of Skywalker, where we saw the dead forest on Mustafar in that opening sequence, which I think now in canon is Mustafar. 
Uh, yes. I think Pablo said it somewhere. Um, but they kind of take took out the uh, the castle in the background. I know Brian, he, he, like, Filoni is great on theme, and I think you have a thematic reason for this location. Yeah, like I think. Um, well, one of the things is is that it it harkens back a little bit to Dagobah, like sort of a deadened Dagobah. Um, but also Filoni is really like, yes, he's big on theme, but he's also big on Kurosawa and Kurosawa really manages time of night and day and weather and um, those sorts of background ambience elements to really heighten the story. And and that was something that I really loved in Filoni's direction here is his mastery of that, right? Like um, the most dramatic, like the most dramatic lighting that you could have are set in reasonable times of day for you to have the conversations they want to have right yeah um and and it just works really well but yeah i think uh also the the it it kind of tells the story about uh the area where where ahsoka is is a little bit more lush than everywhere else like especially outside around the city and i think that speaks to sort of the life that she brings to things um uh, thematically, um, there, there, there's just a lot of really cool stuff in there like that, that feels like, like it's intentional rather than just an accident. Like, I don't think there's any happy accidents in so far as the design of these. Yeah. I do. I, I think, I, think uh, I do wonder too, if it also shows how destructive the magistrate and the, the people are being, because there's that overhead shot of the planet and it almost looks like, uh, it appears there like there are fires burning that have destroyed this area because there's, there's an area outside of like a, the glowing emberish region around it that looks to be much more lush, like you said, which is probably where you know Ahsoka is. And so it, it seems like maybe there, uh, it's a subtle way of you know showing how just how destructive these people have been. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely, and it, it it's now that I think about it, it's very Princess Mononoke, which is. Um, and, and now I feel like a fool for not actually tying all the Princess Mononoke stuff into my review as I'm th- talking about it. But like uh, the the woman, the magistrate is very much like the woman in charge of Irontown in that movie. And Ahsoka was really based, uh, rooted in Princess Mononoke in those Ghibli films. And Princess Mononoke specifically is about that uh, interplay between industry and the natural world. And Ahsoka was supposed to be that or uh, um, the the lead character in Princess Mononoke was supposed to be that conduit between the two, trying to understand it in the Wolf Children, and that's all very felony like stuff. Yes. Okay. Uh, so Mando arrives at the coordinates. Uh, we see. I didn't see this the first time, but Kitra pointed this out to me. We actually see an owl in the tree. Do you think this is Ahsoka's owl? I forget the name. <laughs> A convoy. Uh, yeah. So, so that was something again that, that, uh, I think I need to turn the brightness on my television up because no, it just, I think it, it's meant to almost like blend in with the tree after I saw it the second time. Like it's almost like you see the owl and it turns and it, the silhouette becomes like almost like a part of the trunk of the tree. And it's not as colorful as the owl is in the, in the animated series. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it also might be the, the darkness of the scene so yeah um so mando hears something and puts the child down as he investigates and it's one of those creatures from before but just as uh you know just then ahsoka attacks mando fights back 
And Mando is able to stop this attack by saying that Bo-Katan sent him, but Ahsoka is more interested in talking about that child over there. Um, it's now nighttime, and Ahsoka is sitting with the child in an almost meditative pose, which we learn is she's able to communicate with him through thought. And uh, here we have one of our biggest reveals of the series so far. So far, we finally learn Baby Yoda's name, the child's name, the bounty's name, whatever you want to say, uh, and that is Grogu. So I wanted to hear, uh, Brad, what is your first thoughts on the name Grogu? Uh, I mean, I, it's nice to have a name. You know, the the going back and forth between Baby Yoda and and the child, you know, is was getting a little tiresome, especially considering how much you know. Uh, he's being promoted and how often we have to write about him because of all the toys that are based on him. So having a name is nice that we can just refer to him as, as Grogu from now on. Although I'm sure there are plenty of people who will still, you know, refer to him as Baby Yoda uh, as time goes on. Brad, are you telling me that now when I buy t-shirts for the Mandalorian, it won't say the child on it? It will say Grogu instead? Are there t-shirts that say no, the child? Every single t-shirt that has like the child, like either says the bounty or the oh, child or Mandalorian. But like it can't just show the child. I don't know. It's 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 infuriating to me as a Star Wars fan. Like I, I I'm a person that like well you know my entire wardrobe is like Star Wars shirts, and it's like it seems like Lucasfilm or Disney or maybe maybe they found that the t-shirts don't sell as well if they don't put Star Wars on the See, t-shirt. That that drives me crazy because if there's one thing I hate about t-shirts that reference movies and TV shows, it's when they have to slap the title on it. Like I love the shirts where if you get it, you get it. Like I don't need you know, um, a, a shirt that says B- Biff's Pleasure Palace and then have a Back to the Future, you know, part two <laughs> logo somewhere, you know, on the T-shirt to tell people, uh, you know, either you get it or you don't. So um, that's that's really annoying to me. I've, I haven't seen any of those shirts that actually say the child or the bounty on it. But uh, yeah, like I said, I love having a name and I also love how he reacts every time he hears his name. Just like a, like a cute, cute little coup that he gives like, yeah. <laughs> no? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was so good. Yeah, what what do you think of the name, Brian? Uh, I'm fine with the name. Like, I was I was really prepared for it to be anything, and Grogu sounds as Star Warsy as anything. I was sort of expecting they might stick with the Y names because you've got Yoda and Yaddle, and that's about it. But I'm really glad they didn't. Again, he's not uh, the same as all the others, and so that that works. And and like like Brad said, like it's just adorable. Every time the name gets said, the puppet work and the sound design is so good around it that you forget that he's a puppet with, you know, Matthew Wood behind him making sounds. I I almost wonder, like, I know before this series went to air, um, making Star Wars had a report um, that Filoni and... Favreau went to George Lucas and were able, this was before the first episode air, um, that that they went to George Lucas and were able to get something that he's never wanted to provide, and that was a name for the, the Yoda species. Um, now, I'm wondering if if that is Grogu, if, if Lucas actually provided the name. Is, is that his, is Grogu actually his name? Could that be the name of the Yoda species? Um, I mean, we, he we've, have we've, we've seen name? plenty of other characters referred to by their species, so it's certainly possible. But the fact that yeah. Ahsoka was, commu- you know, communing with him, that I'm sure that she actually got his real name. Yeah. And I do want to mention... Oh, what were you going to say? 
Oh, I was going to say, like, it does also feel a little bit like Grogu. If you rearrange it in just the right way and squint, it's kind of like, uh, a, you know, maybe that's a reference to George, especially in the way he used to, you know, uh, move names around to reference people that he really liked or respected Interesting. in, in Star Wars. Think about that. Um, I should mention, even though that this probably has nothing to do with, but, but Grogu is actually in an alcoholic beverage in Cape Verdean. It's, um, it's made out of sugar. I, to- cane. I, I so, told but- you the demands whiskey thing <laughs> is legit. <laughs> so the sales of that, that, uh, alcoholic beverage are probably going to skyrocket after, this name has been revealed. Uh, so that's that. That is actually why you're going to keep seeing the child on everything because they will have failed to have captured the <laughs> the the licensing or the trademark on that word. Which is why all the Sabak decks they've sold are all so- sold under Han Solo card game or smuggling card game. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um. Okay, uh, I guess one last question about the name is: Now that we have a name, do you think fans are gonna call start calling him Grogu, or do you think we're still gonna see everybody call him Baby Yoda? Or, I mean, I, I guess I asked that because how many fans actually call him Mando Din? Like Jin, I, I I feel like I I, I don't call I, I just call him Mando. Sometimes I sometimes so I use like, name if I'm trying to vary up saying Mando or Mandalorian too much because that can get a little bit. Uh, frustrating, but yeah, I mean, so it'll probably be the same thing. I mean, Baby Yoda will, for our purposes, will still be the best SEO option as opposed to Grogu. So, yeah, actually, maybe Grogu is more of a good SEO option because, like, you know, Baby Yoda is more uh, non-specific. That's true. That's Grogu, too saturated yeah. now. Too much Baby Yoda. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Anyways. Uh, so we learned that Grogu was trained at the Jedi temple. Do we know what Jedi temple she's talking about here, Brian? Yeah. So this is, uh, she says the Jedi temple on Coruscant, which is the one that we've seen throughout the prequels and that Anakin Skywalker marched on the, on, on the night of order 66. Yeah. We learned that someone took him from the temple and he was hidden. Uh, and that then his memory became, becomes murky. So, I, I guess the question is, who do we think took him and hit him uh, in this time? Like, it, it, who could it possibly be? I think I think that's one of the the biggest mysteries. Is there's not a whole lot of Jedi that are off the the map, and th- that as we're learning more and more about Jedi that were hunted afterward, uh, we're seeing them, especially in the comics, get more and more. Uh, scarce as Vader actually hunts them down uh, or that they actually turn and try to hunt Vader down. Like in the case of of Jocasta new who actually did try to preserve as much of that Jedi legacy as she could and, and created a small library on another planet that Luke Skywalker actually ends up stumbling upon uh, later after the battle of, of Endor and probably the battle of Jakku as well. Um, So there's any number of Jedi that haven't, had canon deaths, whether that's Shakti or or even Jocasta New could have been responsible for that. But there's there's plenty of candidates that might have been able to do it. On the other hand, it could be, you know, a random Jedi that that worked in the nursery who'd pulled nursery duty that was like, well, if I've got to save one of these kids, it's got to be this one and ran. Um, but 
the other interesting thing, and maybe this is getting too far into the weeds, those Jedi nurseries where there were babies were typically off planet. That was one of the things that Cad Bane was hunting for, for Palpatine. And these kids, uh, he wanted to use them to turn into what became his Inquisitorius. And they weren't actually held on Coruscant. And I think the fact that he's been trained by a number of Jedi masters on Coruscant at that temple implies that it would be someone who had him in a one-on-one situation, not necessarily as a Padawan because he'd need to be um, not older specifically, but older in his maturity and his and whatnot, but that this species might be a special case. I'm sorry I'm rambling. I get really excited about yeah. Star Wars. Let me just say that I don't trust Jocasta New. Because she was very indignant about there not being a planet in the Jedi Library. And she's like, oh, well, if it's not here, then it doesn't exist. And it's like, you just didn't do your job right. <laughs> yeah, no, she's I would I would say that, yes, she's terrible in the movie. But read the comics. She's really cool in the uh, the Darth Vader comics that I uh, the most recent iteration or this. No, the Charles Soule ones uh, she's in, I believe. And they're just they're fantastic. Fair enough. OK. So uh, Ahsoka says that she's only known one other being like this, and that is, uh, you know, Jedi Master Yoda. Uh, I, I guess that brings the question to me, Brian. Like, did she not know of Yaddle? So for one, I, I Yaddle was off the council and had gone on her own mission before the time of Attack of the Clones. And Attack of the Clones happens before the Clone Wars, and Ahsoka isn't even uh, a Padawan until into the Clone Wars. So Yaddle would have been off of Coruscant and away doing everything or whatever she was doing while Ahsoka was still a youngling. And there's no, I mean, there's, there's tens of thousands of Jedi roaming the galaxy. Why she'd know Yaddle uh, who wasn't on the council at the time that she had gone through her, her rankings uh, it, it makes sense to me that she wouldn't. I thought about that too. Um, and I think that there's two reasons for it. There's that reason, which is the in-universe reason. And the other reason where you didn't want Ahsoka having to explain both of them in this scene. Like it's easier for her to have just known Yoda other than going like, oh, wait, there was that other one, Yaddle. She was weird. Like you don't want that but in that it, scene. It, yeah. It also paves the way for us to potentially get a special edition of the prequels in which we fi- we see have scenes in like Attack of the Clones, maybe we'll they'll, they'll add a scene during the Geonosis battle where we see Yaddle just get shot by a battle droid, or in Revenge of the Sith, we'll see a scene where like they put they they put <laughs> Grogu in the background of the scene where Anakin walks in and kills those younglings, but like someone reaches in quickly and just grabs him and slowly walks away. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to mention while we were, we were just having this conversation less than a minute ago, one of my friends texted me and said. Total bullshit that Ahsoka doesn't know who Yaddle is. So, <laughs> I think that's funny that that just came up right now. Okay. Um, uh, I do think this is a missed opportunity to, for her to say that this looks like a baby Yoda, but whatever. Uh, I'm moving on. I'm not going to. She got as close to it as you needed to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mando admits that he's seen him use the force before. She says that the Jedi Order fa- fell a long time ago, and Mando insists that he needs her help. Uh, she relents and will test him in the morning. Uh, in the morning, we see Ahsoka uses the force to levitate a rock to Grogu and almost like a dog asks him to return the stone to her. Uh, but instead of levitating it, he drops it to the ground. Uh, Ahsoka senses that 
there's fear, much fear in Grogu. Uh, he's hidden his abilities to survive all these years, but since there's a connection with, with Grogu and Mando and asked him to get him to do it, Mando tries the same thing, but with the joystick knob that, that Grogu like, you know, is so infatuated with. And not only does Grogu take it, but it's like, you know, like it's quickly comes to him, like not slowly, but like, you know, almost like a, a you know, like a bullet being fired or something. Uh, I will say this. I, I like how this show keeps on taking things that are, we thought were just like a cute thing in the first season. And it's like, well, no, we're going to do more stuff with that. Like the joystick knob I thought was never going to come back in any meaningful way in the series. But it it's, it's funny how like, you know, there's these cute moments that become setups for something later. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's just good. That's just good storytelling. Like not a wasted moment if you can help it. Yeah. Um, Ahsoka says that he's grown grown a large attachment to him, which is why she can't train him. She's seen what attachment can do, and obviously she's talking about what happened with uh, Anakin, right? Yeah. No, she's absolutely talking about that. And upon rewatches, seeing sort of the pain in her voice and her eyes about that is, is heartbreaking, especially considering – the last thing that that we saw her do on the timeline, because I still think, and we can talk about how I feel like this would be placed on the timeline. The last thing we saw her do was fight Vader and then get plucked out of there and then stranded on Malachor again. And so she's still very much nursing that hurt of realization that her master became Darth Vader. Oh, for sure. Um, it also occurs to me for the first time ever I, that that Grogu and Anakin are probably were probably born around the same time. Yeah, no, this was something that like, although the timeline is nebulous a little bit, and I don't think that we'll actually get a solid definitive answer in the canon until there's a reason for it because Favreau has said, you know, five years after return of the Jedi, he said three years after. Um, and I think it's just going to be in that, that range that three to five or even as many as seven years until there's an actual reason to pin down where exactly it happens on the timeline. But yeah, if it's that five years after, uh, and we can take Werner Herzog at his word, which I don't know why we'd trust that guy. Um, that <laughs> that Anakin, that? yeah, I know that Anakin and and uh, Grogu would be, have been born about the same time, which would also imply that he was born inside the Republic because, uh, you know, Qui Gon says of Anakin that had he been born in the Republic, we'd have identified him early and brought him in. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay, so Ahsoka advises that he let Grogu's abilities fade. Uh, Mando's not interested in that and admits that he was hired by the magistrate to kill Ahsoka. Uh, he makes a deal with Ahsoka to take the magistrate out if she'll help him. Um, so Mando mentions uh, that that the magistrate has some HK-87 assassin droids. And this is yeah. something we, we know about from canon right or no from legends from legends yeah uh the hk uh, assassin droid series hk stands for hunter killer and they appeared most prominently in the 
Knights of the Old Republic video game HK-47 is a droid that Darth Revan built in the wake of the Mandalorian Wars. So they also have this sort of interesting tie to Mandalore. Um, but uh, they haven't really appeared. They've, they've been mentioned briefly in a couple of like video games um, sort of to, to bring them into the canon or in a book here or there. Um, apparently Gracchus the Hutt, who Luke Skywalker encountered in the, um, I think the Jason Aaron Marvel comic Star Wars title, owned a couple of HK series gladiator droids. Um, but we haven't really seen them on screen ever uh, in the canon. And this is sort of their um, debut. It seems like this season we're getting lots of Knights of the Old Republic public references do you think Favreau's a big fan like Filoni hasn't really used a lot of that stuff in like Rebels or anything right my guess is Favreau probably played it over the weekend between season one and season two <laughs> I mean you, you might be right uh okay so Ahsoka explains that the magistrate is actually someone named Morgan Elsbeth and during the Clone Wars, her people were killed. She survived and anger fueled an industry which helped build the Imperial Starfleet. She plundered, plundered, she plundered worlds and destroyed them in the process. Um, do we know anything more about this character from the books or animated series or video games, or is this a new? No, age? this is this is a new character, and this mo, especially to plunder worlds to. Uh, you know, feed the empire or to create star destroyers is something that we've seen in other places. Um, John Jackson Miller's book uh, uh, that that um, introduced Kanan and Hera before Rebels came out took place on a planet called Gorse, where they were doing the very same thing there, where it was just like we're plundering this world because we need X mineral for the star destroyers, and. Uh, so that's that's a pretty common theme that we've been seeing in this new era of Star Wars, uh, the Disney era, as they're trying to actually make sense of how much plunder the Empire would require to build fleets and armies and navies and even the Death Star as large as that they they were able to. And uh, I think this is just a, a natural storytelling result of that. And that would make sense, too, because I know John Jackson Miller conferred with Filoni about the creation of that book. So it must be on Filoni's mind somewhere. Yeah. Um, so Ahsoka wants to free the prisoners. Mando says a Mandalorian and a Jedi, they'll never see us coming. Cut to the next scene where they see Ahsoka coming and they sound the alarm. She takes out the guards at the gate, slices straight through the huge metal gong. sending ending that rolling with her, her saber, which is just a badass moment. Um, the magistrate comes out and her soldiers flanking her. She tells them to stand down. Uh, I'm sure there's many cinematic references here, right? Like this is kind of like the big Western Corral moment. It is. I kind of, especially with Michael Bean involved, I got tombstone vibes from it, but also the, with the way she's walking toward the camera and the way she has the lightsabers and the way the sort of the smoke rolls across the street and the wind picks up her cloak exactly like as she walks forward really did remind me of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, uh, the fight between the Ronin and the other hired gun from one of the families as he's, you know, the, the samurai with the pistol and the way the robes move and the way the wind picks up and the dust kicks across the screen 
it really did feel like Yojimbo for me with with Ahsoka and the Mandalorian both at alternate times sort of taking the Tashirda Mifune role. So Ahsoka throws the Mando signet down, indicating she's killed him. The magistrate orders her guards to kill the Jedi. They fire at Ahsoka as she blocks the fire with her saber, runs over across the rooftops. Uh, the magistrate orders the execution of the prisoners right as Mando makes his entrance. Uh, Ahsoka takes out more guards as Lang leads uh, a few in the hunt for the Jedi. And uh, there's this cool shot of Ahsoka like lighting up her sabers behind the two guards and then, you know, cut to, you know, a wide shot and we hear screams. And uh, around this time we see what what I thought was a loft cat, but you're telling me it is not. No. So um, Tukas and loft cats are very similar. Tukas first appeared in the Clone Wars. And this was, again, Dave Filoni trying to get uh, cats into Star Wars. And uh, so the Tuka cats first appeared and then Loth cats sort of took over, but those were native to Lothal and uh, Tukas are sort of more widespread around the galaxy. And you can tell them they, they've got bushier tails and more round heads. Hmm. I'm going to have to look at a screenshot of that. Uh, okay. So Lang comes face to face with Ahsoka. And if it wasn't for his droid warriors, he'd be dead. Meanwhile, Ahsoka confronts uh, the magistrate in the water garden area. She drops her robes, uh, ignites her sabers. The magistrate comes with the Beskar spear, and there's this badass battle stance. Uh, Brad, what did you think of this whole fight sequence? Um, for the most part, it's you know it's a good action sequence. It's uh, I, I like how you know there's this um, sort of isolation of the, the the guards and the assassin droids like you know moving through these very narrow streets and alleyways giving you know Ahsoka the perfect opportunity to sneak around and pop up and slice through them and whatnot but like I said before the, I, there were uh, a couple moments where it felt like the the swiftness of Ahsoka from the animated series uh, what didn't translate well to live action maybe um, partially because it, it's, it's hard to do that like the, uh, I mentioned the thing where she takes like a hop up the wall and does kind of like a flip to you know um, slice one of the um, the I think it's a assassin droid or maybe it's just one of the guards and then there's another one where there's there's a, a weird leap off of a rooftop at, uh, to avoid a laser blast that felt kind just kind of clunky um, a little bit but for, for the most part you know it's like like we talked about before this is definitely an improvement for Dave Filoni as far as how he shoots things and uh and then I liked the um, the way you know Mando comes into it too, and his his you know place in it all is much more you know simple and the stuff we've seen him do before. Um, but obviously more on that as we get into the, the the final battle, as it were. Yeah. What do you think of the Ahsoka saber battle with uh, the magistrate with her Beskar spear? And obviously, I can't cut through it as we you know mentioned before. And it also seems to me. I know this magistrate is kind of like this this badass person who's, you know, survived all these years and is like, but she's she's holding her own with a seasoned uh, Jedi. Is that believable? I mean, yeah, it's I, I think so. I mean, there's there's you look at someone like, you know, Mando, who is able to also hold his own against Soka, too. And part of that is because of the yeah. armor that he has, but also because of his combat skills. And so somebody like this, who is clearly, you know, in the same vein of uh, a samurai, a well-trained warrior who has, you know, whose entire life is invested in, you know, 
survival in that way would have some skills to be able to stay alive, um, you know, in, in a, a fight like this. And one thing I love about this fight actually is a lot of lightsaber fights when we, we've seen them between Jedi, at least as far as recent lightsaber battles are concerned, since they didn't have the same technological capabilities to have fast paced lightsaber fights in some of the early star Wars movies is that um, this isn't like a, you know, a, a balls to the wall, like fast paced, you know, constantly hitting, you know, battle. There's a, there's a very calculated approach that each of them have in this, like that they know each other's skills and there it's almost as if like a, a lightsaber battle meets a chess match where there's a lot of like staring, waiting for someone to make the right move, knowing what that move might be. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's still fast paced, but it's not rapid and like consistent hitting of the blade against the, the spear. And so it's, it's done very much in this, in the vein of, you know, plenty of, uh, you know, samurai sword fights we've, we've seen before. This is definitely like consistent with, with Filoni too. In the episode Twin Sons of Rebels, where we saw, spoiler alert, the end of Maul, uh, he really designed that fight fight sequence around that same idea where Maul and Obi-Wan are sizing each other up and uh, Maul comes in and really hasn't learned anything and Obi-Wan has truly become the master. And, and in that, he was very clearly referencing Seven Samurai with Kyuzo, the master swordsman, and his initial fight with the with the guy that that Kambe Shimada, Takashi Shimura's character, sees um, and watches like, oh, it's just a waste. Like, that guy's obviously better. Like, this is this is the worst. And uh, this is very much that same thing where Ahsoka is sort of making those masterful as few moves as she can until she realizes that the fight is going to be a little bit more intense than that. Um. Wang asked Mando who's going to win. I kind of love the small talk that Wang is having with Mando during this whole sequence. It's like, it's almost like he knows he's lost, but he's like trying to buy the time so that he could, uh, you know, make his move, which he tries to do and Mando blasts him and takes him out. So that's the end of Michael Bean's character in star Wars. Uh, I was a little disappointed in, in that, not just because it's Michael Bean, but like, uh, I kind of like the idea of this character being self-aware, you know, enough to know that what he's doing isn't necessarily worth risking his life for. He's kind of just doing it to get by, um, you know, because he, he mentions, you know, like the, the, this is not one of those instances where we're ready to lay down our life for this. Um, and so I, you know, I would I would be interested to see, you know, more of that character popping up if there's, you know, a, a series or something that takes place before this to maybe get you know uh, spend some more time with a character like that. i would also not be surprised if he's not dead i mean like <laughs> i they i if darth maul could come back from getting cut in half and palpatine can come back from getting thrown down a reactor sh- shaft and blown up like this guy lang got shot in the somewhere like it was so fast like maybe his armor caught it and it just knocked him down and he crawls away off camera like that's totally believable yeah, I mean, if General Grievous can still have his human <laughs> body parts inside a droid body, you know, yeah. well, what better person to come back as, you know, a, a killer robot? Yeah, no, that, that would be that would be really cool. <laughs> no, I think I think I I don't th- I'm, like the thing is, I don't think either of us are really joking here. I think it's totally possible. And Michael Bean's just cool. Yeah. And I really loved all the like so much of Ahsoka hunting him through those hallways felt like, you know, Dave Filoni just going like, I'm going to make Hicks fight an alien. <laughs> totally. OK, so the magistrate knocks one of Ahsoka's lightsabers in the water. 
Ahsoka knocks Spear out of her hand and has her checkmate. Uh, and uh, the man from earlier helps Mando take out a guard on the roof. By the way, who is this man? Later we see him being like, is he like he's being empowered? I don't know. I was very confused. I've only seen this episode my, once. My my assumption based on the storytelling was that he was the original magistrate and they were restoring him to his power. And that was why he was sort of taking care of those kids at the beginning where he was like, hey, don't talk to us. Like all of this is trouble. And he was trying to like protect everybody around as best he could while she was in charge. Uh. Um, and so when she's gone, they sort of give him back his vestments. At least that's the storytelling that it implied to me, but I'll read it way too much into everything. Clearly. <laughs> hey, we're like an hour and a half into this podcast episode. Of course, we're going to read too much into everything. Uh, Ahsoka asks the magistrate, where is her master? And we finally get the big reveal of the episode. I mean, or one of the big reveals of the episode. I guess Grogu is maybe the biggest reveal. Um, she's looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, Brian, why Why would Ahsoka want to find Thrawn? And who so, is Thrawn, actually? We, we should assume that people listening to this might not even know who Thrawn is. So uh, I, I think... Thrawn is one of those characters that is sort of transcended just the hardcore Star Wars fandom because when Star Wars was dead during what I think a lot of us call the dark times, like after Return of the Jedi came out, there was like nothing coming out unless you were hardcore. And it was like the role playing game was the biggest thing. But in 1991, uh, Del Rey licensed Star Wars and came out with a series of books that were billed as the sequel to Star Wars. And they sold more copies than probably any Star Wars books. Uh, I mean, definitely ever had to date, but also I'm sure those books still sell well and put them in the, the ranks of some of the highest selling Star Wars books ever made. And they debuted on the New York Times bestseller list. But those were Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire books, which introduced Thrawn as a villain uh, for the heroes of the, of the Republic. As they were trying to build the New Republic, Thrawn was off the map somewhere in the unknown regions and he returns with a fleet uh, uh, with his Imperials uh, as well as a, 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 a crazed cloned Jedi um, and he returns to try to take back the, the the galaxy for the Empire and he made it like all of that was decanonized when Disney made the switch from Legends but Dave Filoni worked him back in and Thrawn was a principal villain in Star Wars Rebels in season three and season four and in season three and season four he fought specifically against the Rebels uh, that that we knew and loved there, and including a so uh, Ezra Bridger, and Ezra Bridger was uh, a young Jedi in training that Ahsoka had some dealings with and mentored a little bit, as well as his master Kane and Jarrus. And Ezra was the person who was able to take Thrawn off the map for the Empire because Thrawn was a brilliant strategist, and Thrawn. Uh, was taken to the unknown regions by Ezra, and that became the quest that Ahsoka and Sabine sort of went on after the war was to find Ezra, who was last seen with Thrawn. Um, I don't know if that's too long of an explanation, but hopefully... I think that's fair. Like we, we don't like at the end of Rebels, we don't know if Thrawn was killed or if Ezra was killed. We just know that both of them were missing, right? So... yeah. 
Um, I guess uh, my big this thing to me seems not like a setup for future Mandalorian storyline. This all seems to me like a setup for a spinoff series starring Ahsoka. Am I wrong? I definitely got that impression. I mean, it's hard to watch every episode where it has this movie of the week feel where you're seeing a different cast of characters that could all have and support shows of their own because they've implied so much story so strongly, especially after that earnings call with Bob Iger saying like, yeah, we're looking at expanding the the world of the Mandalorian and seeing what other shows could spin out of that. And then looking at every episode going like, oh, that could be a show. Oh, that could be a show. Oh, that could be a show. I feel like this feels like it more than most. Like, you know, Bo-Katan felt like it could be a show, but this feels like it feels like they can't. Or actually, I don't know. You you earlier made a comment that you think that Moff Gideon is not the end game here, that like you think that he's reporting to Grand Admiral Thrawn and that could be the big bad of this series or that could, I think, could be. I think that could be. I think that absolutely could be. Um, I could be wrong, but I mean, as, as we prove every week, I can be, uh, a lot. <laughs> um, but, and I don't say that jokingly. I mean, like I could be wrong about, about any of this yeah. stuff, but I do think that Moff Gideon seems to be fighting for something that he might be getting more orders from. And if Thrawn is still sort of off the map, um, this could be building toward that heir to the empire style situation. But I think there's other information that we get later in this episode that we haven't gotten to that implies that this could be building up to something that could give us the canon version of heir to the empire. What are you speaking could, of? I, I don't even know. I can't even connect the dots here. So, so um, Ahsoka sends Din Djarin off to, to the planet Tython. Yeah. Right. And Tython is the site of a Jedi temple that that is long thought to be one of the first Jedi temples. And she says, put him put him up on the pedestal there at the the peak of the mountain at the temple and he'll reach out and another Jedi might come looking for him. Wait, 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 wait a second. I thought Octu, the place where Luke Skywalker went to after that that is definitely. This was one of the first and this was for a long time thought to be the first. But Octu is absolutely, as far as we know, the first Jedi temple. But this was definitely one of the first and one of the oldest. And it's um, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Okay, go go ahead. Go no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, who is it in this period of the timeline that's hunting around for all kinds of Jedi <laughs> shit? Uh, Lor Santaka? No, uh, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Luke Skywalker going around intersecting with these characters doesn't seem so ridiculous, especially at the point where, like, if Ahsoka Tano and Bo Katan and Grand Admiral Thrawn are not off the table, why would Luke Skywalker be? I mean, you're right. Like, okay, she she tells him to put him on uh, oh, where is it uh, a sea stone or something like that. A seer stone like the Yeah, it's, it, it's like just a in Rebels. You'll see a lot of these on the various temples that they visit. But these are ways for them to communicate with other Jedi. Um, and this was how Yoda communicated with um, this was how Yoda communicated with Ezra during that time. Uh, and it's also how I know it's the Lego Star Wars holiday special, but it's also how Ray communicated with the ghost of Yoda in that show. And so if, if, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he could see the ghost. 
No, but it's canon adjacent, and the idea yeah. is still that that Yoda's Yoda's ghost can appear in those in those places to people that maybe maybe didn't necessarily know him um, is sort of like implied throughout the canon. So I mean, maybe maybe he does get to see Yoda. Maybe he gets to see Obi Wan. Maybe you know we've got those. We've got those reports that Obi-Wan was on set for the Mandalorian just to test out his costume. Yeah. But maybe maybe he huh. maybe he's there on Tython, who knows, like as a ghost. I think I think the point is is that they've opened it up for anything to be possible and one of those possibilities is Thrawn coming back and making life hell for the New Republic. Another possibility is that Luke Skywalker or any of the ghosts of the Jedi past can come talk to Grogu or try to see if he would be willing to live that life of a Jedi. Or, But he also gets a choice. So I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of tantalizing possibilities about all of that. Um, that we just don't know enough. We don't have enough information about what direction they're going to head to know for sure. Wait, I do want to talk about some specific context here because uh, she says that if he, while he's on this, uh, if on the seeing stone, if he reaches out through the force, there's a chance a Jedi will feel it and will come. But she admits there are not many Jedi left. That makes me think that it's not going to be a force ghost Jedi. This would have to be a Jedi that is still alive during this time period, which is which is what I think leads me to Luke. Yeah, I, I because think, he's actively searching for that stuff. Yeah, the only yeah, and he's he's looking for the first Jedi temple. It's a chance that that could be the moment where he shows up there is the moment where he's like on that pilgrimage to find that Jedi temple. The only other I think I think that? that's later. That's much later in the timeline where he's looking right. for the first Jedi temple to look for answers about ben after the destruction of his temple that happens much later uh, okay yes but this is still when he's seeking out artifacts of the jedi and any knowledge that he can and and that's where we see that in battlefront 2 after um between return of the jedi and the battle of jakku um when they're they're sort of when inferno squadron is burning those uh places full of artifacts that Palpatine had secured and Luke shows up and that's where he finds um, that compass, right? That's where he finds that compass. And um, further than that, you know, we see in, in that comic that Jocasta knew is in, and she created that cache of Jedi knowledge and books and holocrons and whatnot. Luke stumbles upon that long after her death as well, you know, sort of leaving that uh, legacy for him so that, we know in the canon from a whole bunch of other places, he is seeking these things out to learn more about the Jedi um, and, and kind of going on this walkabout. Brad, let, let's rewind things for a second. Do you think that this whole Ahsoka Thrawn thing is a setup for its own series, or do you think it's going to be part of the Mandalorian? And who do you think should play um, Thrawn in live action? Uh, wow, that's a good question. Very good question that I wasn't anticipating. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that this this does seem to be setting up for a, a spinoff for Ahsoka, just because this this episode had 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 a fair, fair amount of finality to it, and it would seem uh, almost contrived if Ahsoka were to run into Mandalorian again, considering where his trajectory is headed and how resistant she was to wanting anything to do with training um, Grogu whatsoever. And so I feel like. 
her path definitely lies separate from Mando's, though it could obviously, you know, intersect again if their interests happen to align, depending on whether Thrawn is the one guiding uh, Moff Gideon or anything like that. Um, as for who should play Thrawn, that is that is a, a very good question. I <laughs> I mean, um, if we if we hadn't already had Mads Mikkelsen in the Star Wars universe, that would have been my choice. Well. Can I can I offer his brother Lars, who provides the voice on Star Wars Rebels? Wait, is is it really Mads Mikkelsen's brother? Yes. Oh wow, that's awesome. Well then, fuck yeah, get him. <laughs> yeah, that's that was I, I that had, was my I had suggestion. No idea. I had no idea. That's awesome. Um. Yeah. No, I think that might be perfect casting right there. Um, and they could just bring him over like they did Katie Sackoff. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm all for that. Uh, okay, I guess uh, the question here is, wh- where is Sabine at this time? Like, where does this take place in the, the timeline? Is this before um, Ahsoka goes and meets up with Sabine to go on this journey to find Ezra and, I mean, find Thrawn, that's, I guess? That's what I think. And I'll tell you why I think that. There's a few reasons. One, um, just from a purely physical standpoint, Ahsoka's montrals, her, her, her head tails, are a lot shorter here than we see them when Sabine uh when she meets Sabine on Lothal after the war in the epilogue the other thing is is that when Ahsoka does that she's shrouded in white Filoni is if if nothing else one of the biggest Lord of the Rings nerds ever and and the colors that she wears are symbolic of things and he's he's talked a lot about the inspiration of Gandalf and Gandalf the Grey versus Gandalf the White and how her lightsabers as she left the Jedi Order. Um, there's a really interesting story about how she got the white lightsabers and why they're white. And it it sort of fits thematically into all of that as well. And when she shows up in the epilogue, she is shrouded in white as though she's sort of transcended um, you know, other iterations of herself. And here, I think it's very purposeful that Filoni shrouds her in gray. Um, and I think it has that Gandalf the Grey Gandalf the White implication. But I also wonder, I went back and rewatched the epilogue and included the video of it in my review on Slash Film, um, that when you go back and look at it, they talk specifically about going back and finding Ezra. And I get the impression that what this is, is her trying to track down that information first. And she's probably working with Bo-Katan because this doesn't seem as though she's just been hanging out in this forest planet, you know, for a long time. Like they're actively working toward something bigger. And if Bo-Katan is working with Moff Gideon or working toward taking the dark saber back from Moff, Moff Gideon and Ahsoka is working to, uh, you know, rustle up the information about the whereabouts of Grand Admiral Thrawn. That's part of what makes me connect those two in my head, because why else would she be checking in with Bo-Katan about that? But my feeling is, is that what, what happens is, is that Thrawn is going to lead her to Ezra or give her an idea of where Ezra is. And that's when she goes and picks up Sabine and they go off on their on their journey. So I think this is before that epilogue. Hmm. OK, interesting. Uh, OK, so Ahsoka gives the Beskar sphere to Mando as payment, saying this belongs with his kind. Um it seems pretty obvious to me that Mando doesn't need any more new weapons. And I, I think this is going to eventually be melted down into armor for Gro- Grogu. Oh yeah. This is totally like <laughs> Beskar for Grogu. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. So she asks where Grogu is, and he says he's back at the ship, and we'll go get him. Uh, who else here thought that this was going to be the moment where Mando was going to arrive back at the Razor Crest, and we were going to find out that he had been captured by Moff Gideon? I I I didn't. I like. I was. I was. I checked my watch and realized we were too close to the end of the episode for that. Uh, so, uh, what, what did you think, Brad? Were you anticipating that? Um, <laughs> I I didn't wasn't really anticipating that because I was more so thinking about whether or not you know this was really going to be the moment that uh, Mando was going to say goodbye to the child, which made me kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and so I was I was just happy to see that that how how it played out instead. Yeah, uh, Mando returns to the ship, wakes up Grogu, and says it's time to say goodbye. Uh, there's some beautiful flute music here. Um, you know, I've said the score this season was not as bold as the first season. It felt like um, it felt like Ludwig uh, kind of found his footing, and I don't want to say is not taking chances, but it didn't. It felt like like a singular thing where the first season felt like it was trying to do a bunch of different things. Uh, in this episode in particular, I think it's uh, his score work is phenomenal and uh, has some moments that are very different. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he, he's definitely found his groove for what this score is meant to be. But I think he's still playing around with those sounds that he brought to Mandalorian in a very interesting way. In particular, I think that the um, the track that he composed for that uh, assault on the Imperial cargo ship um, in the Eris episode was particularly cool. It had a lot of awesome uh, orchestrations along with the industrial sounds that he's been using in this episode. And here um, there was that nice touch of Yoda's theme when Ahsoka brought him up. And then, uh, like you just said, they, they did like what is what sounds like uh, a recorder version of the Mandalorian theme as he returns um, back to back to his ship. I really loved what he did, what what he uh, he did with bringing in Ahsoka's theme too, or notes of that with with similar instruments. But this sort of this victory celebration, it reminded me a lot of of him interpreting a mix between the Ewok celebration and the replacement for the the Ewoks celebration in Return of the Jedi, um, in a really interesting way. So it like evoked it, but it was it it was evocative of it, but it didn't feel like it was copying it. But it felt very much right in line with what he's been doing on this show. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think he's been spreading his wings on it, and of of all of the the pieces, I think this episode has had some of the best music. Yeah, agreed. Uh, okay, so Grogu is whining here, and that's according to the subtitles. It actually says he's whining. Uh, Ahsoka says uh, Mando is like a father to Grogu. She can't train him. He insists that she made a promise, and he is holding her to it. And this is when she tells him about the planet uh, Tython, uh, Tython uh, which has the ancient temple. We've talked about that. Uh, this... Is that uh, in any of the new? I, I know this was featured in Legends. I it appeared in the 2007 novel of Darth Bane, Rule of Two, and it was also in Star Wars: The Old Republic. Is this the first time it appears in so, canon? Tython uh, actually appeared in the the Marvel comics where Vader and and Doctor Aphra went there. Oh yeah, she brings him there to like uh, distract him or something. And this is, it's an ice planet also. So um, that could have some clues to to where we're heading. And and maybe 
maybe the second episode isn't the only ice planet we're going to see this season. Okay, so interesting. Um, okay, so uh, we talked a lot about already this. Uh, uh, we, do we all think it's going to be Luke who shows himself here? Brad, you didn't speak up. I liked that idea, even though I have been resistant to <laughs> the series tying more into existing Star Wars lore and familiar things, only because the the threads have been laid so well for that to to make sense that uh, it would almost be disappointing if we didn't at least bump into him for a bit. And I and considering how well they've done with um, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka being in the season, but not becoming primary focuses of the show still letting us follow mando story and having them just make these appearances i i'm liking that that the the mandalorian isn't becoming overwhelmed or taken over by these characters but merely laying the the seeds to have it blossom into something more that is not just you know a an isolated story about this bounty hunter but something that does does have some kind of tie to larger events whether you know, it is something from the Star Wars movies or creating something that can be as big as the Star Wars movies okay. within a series of television shows. See, for me, this is typical Dave Filoni, where it's like something that I don't think I want and he convinces me that I need it. So, Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I'll be honest, like it's. I think that's something he learned from George, though, too, because it was Filoni who was doing that same thing on Clone Wars when George was like, hey, we're bringing back Darth Maul. And Filoni was the one going like, no, that's that's a terrible idea. (laughs) And then having to to just take that bold move and risk and make it as cool as it turned out to be. Um, And and honestly, like Maul's one of the most interesting characters in all of Star Wars now because of that exploration. So I'm I'm on board for whatever they want to try to bring me. I, I do want to acknowledge that there is some other possibilities here. Like it could be uh, Cal from uh, Fallen Order. He's alive during this time period, I think, right? Um, you know, he could be. I mean, the last thing we saw of Cal Kestis was before Alderaan uh, in the, the Fallen Order game. So we don't know if he made it through the rebellion at all. I, I know uh, that he, is, is, did Kid Fisto get killed? Yeah, he... he Palpatine murdered him in Revenge of that's the Sith. Right, that's right. Yeah, okay. that's right. He's part of that Jedi that come to the, yeah, him and Plo Koon and, yeah. Agent Kolar and Seistine. Yeah. I, I know we saw Mace Windu obviously meet his fate in Revenge of the Sith, but th- there have been some rumors that there could be a Mace Windu series. I know Samuel Jackson even appeared at Celebration on a video, like basically insinuating that Mace Windu is not dead. Uh, not that he has any, you know, authority on that um no thank you but uh i I bring this up because there is these rumors that there's possibly a mace windu series which i i don't think come from credible people so you know that said uh mace windu did he killed jango fett so maybe that would give boba fett something to do if he wants revenge for the person who killed his father it's it's a possibility. I think if Mace Windu is going to get a show, like it's not like Samuel L. Jackson when you shave him actually ages. Um, <laughs> so it could be set before the Clone Wars or yeah. during the Clone Wars or whatever. But I'm the more we get into this, though, the more I'm actually thinking that Boba Fett isn't coming back this season. <laughs> I, Brian, this is one of the times I think you're going to be wrong. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, I would bet money that we will see Boba Fett uh, by the end of the season. But you see, I... like the the further we get away from it, like the the less likely. Like, how does he even fit? Like at this point, with everything they're setting up. I have a question. Yes. Do we think, with all this like expanded universe dabbling that we're starting to do even more so now, that there's a chance that Kyle Katarn could be coming? Wait, oh, who? with the dark troopers. Yeah, um, dark. Not only the, not, not only the dark troopers, but considering the fact that the, uh, I think it's interesting that the Empire is doing these experiments with midichlorians and trying to give seemingly their troops midichlorians and potentially making them force sensitive. And Kyle Katarn is a character who's a force sensitive human who doesn't start as a Jedi. He's a defected stormtrooper. It would be kind of interesting if they were able to introduce him as this character who was experimented on, escaped from the Empire, and can grow into this interesting character and perhaps make good mm-hmm. on the teases that we were given of Finn potentially being a Jedi, but actually follow through on it with a character similar to him. It's interesting. Kyle Katarn is one of those characters that that when Rogue One was coming out, there was a lot of disappointment that it didn't seem as though he was involved because in the Legends canon, he was the one who stole the Death Star plans in those in those video games. And he did become a Jedi and serve on Luke's Jedi Council and, you know, wield a lightsaber and all that sort of stuff. It wouldn't surprise me if Kyle Katarn showed up, but he was also like, yeah, like dark troopers were some of his biggest villains as he worked to to deal with all of that stuff. Um, Like nothing surprises me anymore. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so uh, she says, may the force be with you. They depart. The score here is like more like traditional Star Wars. Uh, Soka smiles as Razor Crest leaves. Um, that is the end of this episode. Um, is there, uh, do you guys have any, uh, final thoughts before we get into some speculation? I think this was, this was another, (laughs) yeah, I think, I think we covered everything. It was another solid entry. It, it referenced a lot of really cool things, both in the star Wars lore and in cinema. And, uh, I can't wait to see where we go next. What do we think is happening in the next episode? Are we going to get a pit stop or are we going straight to the Jedi temple? Hmm. Well, here's the question. We have three episodes left this season. The next episode, we don't know who directed it. We do know that Rick Fumiyama, uh, Yawa, um, Fumiyama, uh, I'm always messing up his last name. Rick Fumiyama, Am I saying it correctly or close? Um, You'll find it. You'll find it. Yeah. uh, He did chapter 15. So he did the second episode coming up. And then I had heard that Robert Rodriguez directed the finale, but I'm not sure that's true. I think that was was confirmed because he didn't he post a a photo from the set or something. He confirmed that he's directing an episode. So it's either the next one or the finale. So who is the other director here? Do we have any idea? I, no, and is did Favreau only did he say he was only doing one episode this season, or could he do another one? He could, anybody could, but I think the only reason that they'd be keeping it secret is because it's, it's going to be. I mean, it could be maybe it's Ryan Johnson, and they just didn't want the press. <laughs> oh no! Uh, okay, so. I, your question, Brad, was: Are we going to see the temple in the next episode? I feel like that's too soon, right? 
I feel like it always Mando is always going to get sidetracked into some kind of mission that he needs to to accomplish something to get him to the next thing or or attacked by somebody. Yeah. Who, yeah. Brian, what do you think? Um, I think it's possible, but I think that the bigger issue that's that's gone completely unaddressed this episode was the tracker that Moff Gideon put on him. And that's going to lead Moff Gideon right to Ahsoka. Mm. And if if he so chooses to go to Corvus and if he doesn't, if if maybe Moff Gideon's just sort of behind his footsteps and dogging them, then maybe he goes to Corvus and maybe there's some story there or maybe, yeah, they go straight to Tython and then that's where uh, a confrontation happens. But I feel like Gideon's like, that's a slow burning fuse. And I somehow don't think Moff Gideon's going to play that chip until more of the threads of the story have been put together. And so my feeling is that we probably would get to Tython that he would call the Jedi and whoever that Jedi is, is going to factor into the finale, just as I think Bo-Katan will, as Ahsoka could, as you know, you're saying maybe Boba Fett will. Like, I really think that the finale is going to be a crescendo of all of the disparate threads this, this season has, has set up. So I feel like they'd probably just be adding more threads as we head toward there. It is interesting, as Brad pointed out last week, that we haven't seen it. There's no footage left that we have not seen. There's actually no news reports of, you know, there's there's one image. There's one one image. What is it? Uh, One of the first image. It it was the um, it was the Mando sort of at, and I thought it was going to be this episode when I saw it, to be honest, but it's the Mando with a, a sort of like a, a local steed carrying the, you know, the, uh, Gorgu's, um, Grogu's, uh, uh, bassinet behind him. And it's sort of in a mountainous region and they're heading up to this place that looks a little bit like, you know, you might expect a, a Jedi temple to look and it's, it's hmm. just one single frame. And, uh, I was sort of half expecting it to, to, it to pop up in this episode, but when it didn't, I'd forgotten about it completely until you, you all just said that. Ah, and well, is, that in, is that in one of the trailers or is it just a still image? That I, it's just a still, it's just a still image. Huh? Interesting. Well, aside from that still image, we know nothing of, of casting. I think all the big reveals that have been that were reported, like the Bo-Katans or the, you know, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, like all that stuff has come to pass. So I feel like these next three episodes, I really am in the dark of where this is headed. Do, do you think we're going to see any more of Ahsoka this season? I, I mean, like, I th- I would not be surprised if we saw her still working with Bo-Katan. Yeah. Although, but then we don't have Sasha Banks, but I guess she's not part of the Night Owls anyways. Or no, she is a Night Owl. She is. She is. I was thinking of uh, Axe Wolves, Wolves or something, whatever his name is. Uh, But, but like I said, though, like if she's got her helmet on, um, if she's got her helmet on, they can have any old stunt person do that. Hmm. Okay, guys, I I think we've probably gone long enough. We've actually, this recorded episode, I think, is almost the length of uh, three times the actual episode. So, it's a, I blame myself. 
do you guys, do either of you guys have any last speculation on the upcoming three episodes of the season? I'm just excited to see what I get wrong. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I, I really like being surprised. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you get wrong too, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm when I say it, I mean it in a like a like in a nice way. Oh, I mean it in a, <laughs> I, I mean it in an antagonistic way. Totally. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> okay, we'll put a link to Brian's review that appeared on slashfilm.com today in the show notes. We'll also put a link to what did you mention earlier, Brett? Oh, my, your interview. My, my interview with Katie Sackhoff, yeah. Yeah. Did she say anything like super like, like was there any big reveals of, of no, the interview? No, no, she was she was good at tap dancing. The more the most interesting thing I think to me was that I tried to get her to talk about holding the dark saber without confirming that it's her as Bo Katan holding lightsaber. Like I just <laughs> I asked her if she had held it as an actress, and her response was I honestly don't remember, which sounds like a lie to me because I feel like if you're gonna hold the dark saber, you're not gonna forget that. <laughs> Yeah, she has a photo a photo on her phone somewhere, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, so it's um but yeah, it's 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 an interesting interview. Uh I was I was actually really interested in her the um, her dis- discussion about uh how challenging she found it to bring Bokatan into live action and just how much more of a challenge it was than she had uh, had anticipated. Okay, well, we'll put links to both of those stories. You can find more of all of her work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday, or not every weekday, three times a week now on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com, and please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on there. Of course, you know, we record this hours after this episode airs, so you guys are going to have way more time to, you know, slow-mo and and pause and, and look at things, and uh, that's why we always have the segment in the next week where we we have some feedback from you guys and some revelations that we have learned, uh, Easter eggs and such. So uh, if you have anything that we might have missed, send it to us at peterislashfilm.com. And uh, please, if you are enjoying these episodes, please, you know, take – It'll take less than a minute of your time. Go to the podcast on iTunes and rate it. Give it five stars. Say how much you love it. Uh, Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday.